0: Relax and get ready to learn. Here's Pat.
1: Hi, I am Pat Eyer, and this is Legal Nurse Podcast. Welcome to the show. Each week we bring you interviews with business experts and legal nurse consultants. And sometimes they're combined in one role on a variety of topics to build your knowledge, your business, your marketing chops, and your ability to help attorneys with their cases. Today, you're gonna have an opportunity to meet Angela Barker, who is a nurse with pediatric ICU background and experience as an administrator of an agency that provided pediatric home care. She is a legal nurse consultant who works with attorneys to help provide experts to identify medical records that need to be obtained and analyze them and to delve into some of the issues that can create liability in a variety of settings. Angela, welcome to the show. Thank you. What we're gonna focus on, oh, it looks like you're frozen again. Welcome to Legal Nurse Podcast. I am Pat Iyer, and this is the show that you come to for assistance in building your business, for information that helps increase your expertise, your marketing skills, your client relationships, your business development, and your financial knowledge. Today I have with me Angela Barker, who has a focus as a former pediatric ICU nurse working in the area of pediatric private duty home care for pediatric and adult patients, She was an administrator for an agency and has transitioned to Legal Nurse Consulting, where she's the owner of Covenant Legal Nurse Consulting and helps attorneys nationwide make sense of medical records and identify and locate expert witnesses. Angela, welcome to the show. Thank you, Pat. We decided to focus this podcast on a population hidden away in homes, generally not noticed until something goes wrong, and that is children who require long-term care in their homes. Let's tell our listener, Angela, what are some of the kinds of medical diagnoses that result in children requiring short-term care, and then we'll focus on what population needs long-term care.
2: Okay, so for short term care, um, it's seizure management uh, is the main diagnosis. Uh, there are some medication changes uh, that can be made to get the seizures under control. And uh, then that gets them to um, be more stable and then they phase out of uh, private duty nursing. Uh, also, failure to thrive. So uh, they start out needing uh, G tube feeds, and then uh, as they get better, then Uh, they can eat by mouth. And so again, um, then they graduate from private duty nursing. And as far as long-term care, uh, some of the main diagnoses that we would see are spinal muscular atrophy. Uh, We had cerebral palsy patients, um, also bronchopulmonary dysplasia, some chromosomal anomalies, uh, anoxic brain injury, spinal cord injuries as well. um, And uh, cardiac disorders. So those were kind of the the top tier ones for the long-term care patients that we would see.
1: Oh, All right. Well, kids with complicated medical needs for sure. Definitely. And do you ever see in home care kids who've had complicated surgery, for example, and need to have some short-term, maybe that would be home health care,
2: um, yes, uh, we could be able to teach the family how to take care if it was a complicated, um, you know, patient that required um, some care uh, around the clock care or uh, we could and also reinforcement for the family. Um, so that could also um, result in in care in the home. Uh, so the hospitals typically will teach the families how to care for the patient, especially if there's no nurse present. But sometimes, especially if it is complicated, uh, they will need some reinforcement just to make sure that uh, they're familiar with all the equipment and uh, definitely how to manage an emergency in the home.
1: All right. Well, you mentioned, pre- especially if a nurse is not present, who is in the home taking care of these kids? So. Uh, As far as staff
2: goes, um, sometimes you would have your home health aides. If it was uh, care that was just activities of daily living, uh, if it was uh, skilled care, uh, you would see uh, more of your LVNs caring for the patients. Uh, We did have RNs in the home as well, but that was more for specialized care, uh, TPN, um, and more advanced patients like our our, um, ventilator patients. Uh, We'd see them, but uh, typically we'll see more of the LVN population in the home.
1: Mm -hmm. And are these individuals typically supplied by an agency, or do families ever go outside of an agency and make an arrangement directly with a person to be in the home?
2: So with... um unskilled there is the consumer directed services here in texas where i'm from uh where they can hire the staff on their own um, versus using an agency now there are some downsides of uh hiring the staff on their own uh could be uh, you know if that person calls in then you know who else are you going to have to fill their place um having to manage them uh HR. So if there's any issues or anything like that, uh, as far as training them as well. So the benefits of utilizing an agency is the agency um, is bonded. Uh, they cover their employees for workers' comp. They also have replacement staff. So if somebody calls in, they can send a replacement uh, to fill in the shift. Mm-hmm. Uh, also uh, managing uh, from an HR perspective. Uh, and then they handle all the skills training and making sure that that caregiver is competent to to care for that patient. So there's a lot of benefits to using an agency.
1: So we talked about private duty LNs, private duty LPNs and RNs. We talked about home health aides. You've just described for the population of long-term kids some complicated needs. Can you tell us what are the restrictions on what a home health aide can do versus a, an LPN or an RN? Sure.
2: So in Texas, um, the home health aides uh, can't administer any medications or treatments. Um, they can do medication reminders. Um they can't can't dispense medications, uh, apply medicated creams uh, or administer suppositories. Uh, So there are instances where, uh, you know, in in different states, so it's definitely based on the state where the RN can delegate certain tasks to the home health aid, but uh, again, that's gonna be state specific. Uh, Now, LVNs, uh, they do, pretty much most of the care that we will be, uh, or that we're providing in the home. Um, There are some restrictions as far as like TPN. I know those are mainly managed by the RN. um, And so that's why those cases um, will typically have RNs on those cases. Uh, But with LVNs, they take care of the majority of our patients.
1: And I, I know that you answered the last question starting with in Texas can you tell us for the people who are listening, who are not in Texas, is this a general pattern in terms of what the aides can do and what they cannot do?
2: Yes, that's uh, definitely a general pattern uh, that you'll see in the different states now. um, There may be a little bit more leeway on delegation. Um, I've seen, uh, you know, where they could potentially delegate like g feeds Um, but again, it just depends on the state and and what the RN is comfortable with delegating as well.
1: Wonderful. I can foresee cases, and I'm sure that you have heard of them or worked on them, Angela, where Mm -hmm. that aid crosses the line in an effort to try to help the patient, for example, but practices outside the scope of what they are allowed to do. Can you comment on the kinds of issues that could arise where the aid is traveling into unknown territory, meaning performing skills or procedures for which they are not trained?
2: I know I've uh, you know heard or I've dealt with a case where a, a home health aid or provider was uh, changing out a, a patient's trach. Um, now that one uh, can be can cause some issues, especially with emergency situations. So if they're not uh, using uh, the proper technique, they're not uh, using the right size of trach. You know, there's a lot of different uh, complications that can come from that. Uh, maybe technique. You know, the patient gets an infection. So um, as well as uh, it could cause an emergency situation. So um, go ahead.
1: Mm-hmm. And speaking of emergencies, what kind of training do people have who are taking care of patients at home in terms of dealing with emergencies? So
2: they will typically get uh, have training as far as uh, during the orientation process. Uh, there is competency assessments that are completed where uh, they go through Scenarios on what would you do in this uh, type of situation? Show me uh, utilizing a mannequin um, how you would handle that situation, like a trach change. Uh, you know the patient's desatting. Um, how are you going to connect them to oxygen and things of that nature? So definitely trying to give them those scenarios in a controlled environment. Uh, so that you can see how they handle the situation, so that when you know if and when that happens in the home um, on a real patient, that they'll be prepared uh, to be able to properly handle that situation.
1: When we were getting ready for this podcast, I may have mentioned to you, Angela, that I worked on the case of a child who was at home under the care of an LPN mm-hmm. when his he started to develop respiratory distress, and she called the clinic that saw him, and they told her to call 911. She instead called the child's father and asked him to come home, and it took him 20 minutes to drive there. When he got there, his child was dead, and they called 911 at that point and took him to the hospital where he was pronounced. It turned out that he had a granuloma that was growing inside of his trachea, and it closed over his stoma in his neck, and that was discovered upon autopsy. Uh, She didn't know how to handle the emergency. She didn't know where the emergency kit was. She didn't know that she should give him oxygen. She didn't follow the instructions of the provider in the clinic, and that was a a lawsuit that the family received money on. It was settled as a result of not correctly handling the emergency.
2: And I know that uh, when we would go out to do supervisory visits, those are some things that we would check on. Okay, where's your emergency equipment? Where's your backup trach?
0: you know,
2: is your oxygen connected, things like that, just so that we could make sure that they weren't getting complacent and like, oh, it's there. And, you know, not checking to see where their stuff was at in case that emergency happened. Now, in in that type of scenario, we we did have some issues where the family didn't want to call 911, where the patient really needed to, you know, be seen in the emergency room and we would still call. And we'd say, you know what, I'd rather um, deal with the customer service, you know, if they're upset, but, you know, first and foremost, it's our patient that's our main priority. And we have to make sure that the patient is safe um, and that they are seen. So, but, you know, in those scenarios, we we would have those families where they would say, no, I don't want um, EMS to be called. I'm sorry. But, you know, based on our assessment of the patient and their needs, um, that's a step we have to take.
1: Yeah. It sounds like there could be some very complicated dynamics affecting decision-making.
2: Definitely. Uh, especially when you're dealing with, uh, you know, families, um, as well as, uh, you know, the patients, you know, sometimes the, uh, the families have certain, uh, you know, belief systems or beliefs that they, you know, they can handle it, they can manage it, they don't want uh, their last thing. And, you know, our, our goal is to keep the the family, or sorry, the patient in the home and not have them hospitalized. You know, that's the ultimate goal of home care. Uh, but there are instances where um, they do need that advanced uh, level of care in the hospital.
1: Yes, Well, let's focus on some of the liability risks involving taking care of kids at home we've talked already about how do you handle an emergency and also straying outside the scope of practice Mm -hmm. what are some other kinds of issues that could come up that would lead to a lawsuit so uh, definitely as you were saying in your case
2: like not following emergency protocol so if we have, uh, you could have a nurse that's gone through all the training and yet they freak out in that emergency situation. And, you know, they uh, don't, uh, for example, if a patient is on a ventilator, um, they're getting, uh, especially if they're trying to wean them off the ventilator, they're getting a low breath rate um, just to help them, you know. But if they're in that emergency situation, Um, that's not going to be sufficient to ventilate them. So they have to disconnect them from the ventilator and uh, provide them with AMBU ventilation. Um, So if they are, you know, trying to uh, do their interventions and then continuing to keep them on the ventilator, then they're not going to get that uh, proper ventilation. So um, I've had there, I've seen instances where that happened where they left them on the vent and then the patient just uh, continued to desat and, and, Uh, the patient actually um, ended up with brain damage and passed away. So um, Mm. those are some instances where it's like, okay, these are critical thinking and that's why we try to give them scenarios to try to test their critical thinking. Um, Also diastats. So if you have patients that are seizure patients checking that diastat to make sure that it's not expired because a lot of times you take for granted that that patient is stable. They haven't had, you know, a long seizure or grandma seizure um, in a long time. So um, you take for granted that that diastat is still good. So just checking that diastat, Uh, the emergency go bag as well. So I've seen an instance where a parent uh, took out the trach uh, from the go bag and forgot to replace it. Mm. And nurse didn't double check the emergency go bag. The patient decannulated and they didn't have a trach. So Mm -hmm. thankfully in that instance, the patient was fine. They called EMS, they got the patient stable. Um, so there wasn't any negative outcome on that one, but, um, and there are some instances where there can be a negative outcome as a result of that, um, Sleeping nurses also for failure to monitor. So if they're taking on too many shifts or not getting enough rest, especially with those ventilator patients, you know, if they're um, overextending themselves and then taking a vent patient at night, and of course it's the lights are dim and, you know, they get sleepy, so they fall Mm -hmm. asleep and then something happens to that patient. So that's another Um, risk that we see in in home care. Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: uh, being prepared for a power outage as well. So making sure that the equipment's fully charged uh, and that you have backup. So um, those specialized um, suction, uh, just in case um, you don't have power. Mm
1: -hmm. Um,
2: Mm -hmm. But Taking all that, you know, always being prepared because uh, the time that you're, you get comfortable, then that's when things happen and, you know, issues happen and negative outcomes as well.
1: The list of things could go on longer, Angela. It chills me to think about even the last point that you brought up of the power grid failing there's uh-huh. at the time that we're recording this, which is in August, there is a lot of stress on the electrical system because we're dealing with unprecedented, unprecedented heat in this country, in the United States, and uh-huh. in Texas, where you're recording from, Angela. It's among the hottest parts of the country. And you think about these kids on ventilators at home relying on a backup generator to kick in when it's required, Uh, Mm -hmm. that alone is enough to give a parent nightmares.
2: Exactly. And some families don't have that, uh, you know, generator. So they just have to deal with that backup battery uh, in the meantime until uh, CPS can get to them uh, Mm -hmm. to restart the the power. So, you know, those are some hard issues to deal with too.
1: Sure. With all of the complexity that you've just outlined for us and the isolation of working in a home that a nurse can experience, what kind of training and orientation would a person typically go through in order to be able to assume this level of responsibility? So they...
2: Would go through the office orientation. Uh, now, if they were uh, a ventilator nurse or they were looking to take care of ventilator patients, then there was a specialized uh, vent module. So, the company I worked for, um, they had uh, partnered with Johns Hopkins School of Nursing and developed a ventilator module. And it was very, um, so they would give you scenarios and then it would have you kind of like NCLEX, you know, choose the best answer. Uh, so there was a few that you could choose. but um, And then if you chose an answer that wasn't the best answer, then it would tell you kind of the rationale behind why there was a better answer than that one or a better, you know, okay, that's good, but you know that you want to do this one first, or this intervention first. And so that helped with uh, those critical thinking Aspects. Uh, there was also uh, patient-specific orientation where they would orient with another nurse that was familiar with the case, and they had a checklist to go through uh, to make sure they were familiar with where is the plan of care, um, where is all their equipment. So, um, and then they also uh, did a competency evaluation where they had um, the office. We had a mannequin. And uh, we also had all the equipment. So we had a ventilator, suction machine. So um, we would test um, their skills, have them do a trach change. You know, uh, we'd go over, go through the ventilator so they could, we could make sure that they understand the tubing, the changing and all that. Um, and give them scenario questions on the diff- as we go through like the different assessment uh, so GI questions, we'd give them a scenario for going through neuro, cardiac. You know, as we go through all the systems, uh, we'd have questions that we would ask just to test their level of knowledge to see, okay, um, would they be able to handle this type of patient? Um, you know, and and if we felt like they needed extra training, then we would definitely provide that extra training. Um, and then also with any um, advances. equipment so sometimes there was new ventilators that would come out that uh, we didn't have necessarily in our office then we would coordinate with the dme company to ensure that they had that training um, so that they would be familiar with that that particular ventilator um, and be able to manage it as well so Mm -hmm. all that training ahead of time just to make sure that they were competent and uh, familiar with the care of the patient.
1: Oh, there's so much that goes into this, Angela, and not only preparing them for that responsibility, but keeping them up to date with changes in equipment, techniques, standards changing, all of that requires an agency who supplies a nurse to keep that need of that nurse always foremost in their mind. It Mm. also makes a powerful argument, Angela, for not doing direct pay work with an RN or an LPN, because you have no assurance that they have been appropriately trained or are being updated and and serviced on changes.
2: Yes, uh, exactly. And it's, it's important to also Uh, partner with the DME company. So we were fortunate to have a really good DME company. Um, And we were uh, very, we had a great relationship with the respiratory therapists in that company. So they were always updating us, sending us updates like, Hey, this is a new ventilator that's coming up that we're going to start putting patients on. So we knew in advance, like, okay, we can start coordinating that training. And so it's, it's really paramount to um, get uh, develop a good partnership with a DME company, if you're dealing with uh, ventilator patients, just to make sure that that training uh, that you stay up to date with all the training and changes, especially, you know, with um, protocols
1: and such. Mm -hmm. And I have two more questions for you. The first is, As a legal nurse consultant is working on a case involving a home care negative outcome, Mm -hmm. what kind of documentation should that LNC expect to find in the file? What kinds of guidance can the LNC provide to the attorney who's requesting medical records or other documentation specific to that case so it's it's the documentation medical records question that i have for you
2: sure um so with a a case involving a negative outcome especially with home care um so some of the thing, the documents that um i would request would be um to ch- to see what their policy is on supervision um training uh how, how do they do their competency? What's their assessment and reassessment process? Um, just to see, okay, what do they do when changes um, are, not- are noted with that patient? Uh, medication changes, uh, safety precautions, their emergency management plan. So is it specific to the patient? What's their on-call procedure? So in case the, the nurse did reach out. Um, to a supervisor, tried to reach out. Um, did they get a call in a timely manner? Uh, what's their patient specific orientation like? Um, and uh, if uncomfortable, did they reach out? So, if they were uncomfortable with the situation or they saw, hey, this patient is not doing well, I've tried my interventions, you know, did they reach out or uh, what did they do? Um, and definitely it's customized to the case and it's important to look at. Uh, at least like 96 hours prior to the situation, if not more, but just to see if there was, if there were indications that that patient was starting to decline and maybe did the, the nurse not pay attention to those changes? Uh, because definitely, uh, you know, they can intervene and, and just make sure that they're contacting the physician and staying on top of it. But if they weren't on top of it, then, you know, maybe you could see that gradual decline that, you know, obviously could have been addressed. Um, uh, but those are certain, th- so, uh, those are things that I would have looked at, or I would look at, um, you know, especially when reviewing that case, look at the notes, um, those nursing notes, uh, especially vent, uh, if they're a, a vent patient, then those vent flow sheets, um, and, uh, basically just see, make sure that you have all the information. So letting the attorney know if there's any documentation that's missing, Uh, because as a nurse, uh, as a legal nurse consultant, you know, we're familiar with what's supposed to be in that record. And so it's up to us to let the attorney know if there's any documentation that's missing um, so that we can see like the full picture um, of the case um, and be able to, to give our opinion on it.
1: Yes. Yeah, there are so many specialized areas for this type of case that I know that our listener who gets a pediatric home care case is going to want to say, now, how can I reach Angela to talk with her about this case? What would be the best way for that contact to take place? So um, they
2: can reach out to me via email. Uh, My email is anbarker at covenantlnc.com.
1: So that would be uh, the best way to reach out to me. All right. And how about if you spell covenantlnc.com? Sure. It's covenant is C-O-V, as in Victor, Mm
2: E-N-A-N-T, and and then L-N-C, like legal nurse consultant.
1: All right. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Angela, for sharing your expertise. The more that I think about this type of risky area, the more it makes me aware of the multiple ways in which things can go wrong in the home. And the fact that you can't, as you can in a hospital, run down the hall and say, hey, come and help me take a look at this, figure out what to do. You're on your own in the house to make the, the appropriate nursing judgments and decision making that's required. And it requires a skilled person who knows when to get help and and how to handle the kinds of problems that can develop at home.
2: Definitely, you know, and and, uh, making sure that they're comfortable with reaching out to that supervisor as well when they're, when they have questions like, hey, I'm not sure this is what I'm seeing. Um, You know, what should I do? Uh, And and definitely reaching out before uh, it turns into, again, a negative outcome.
1: Yeah, and that's a great point, Angela. As long as there is a supervisor readily available who can provide backup and can offer suggestions, that's an essential way to deal with the kinds of issues that could occur at home. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast, Angela. I appreciate you sharing your experiences. For our listener to this program, Be sure to go to lnceu.com. Check it out for our resource that's available to provide ongoing monthly training that consists of video training and books that I am writing. You can become either a monthly or an annual member and receive up-to-date content that will help you in your legal nurse consulting practice. Stay tuned. Hang on for just a few more minutes to find out about our next speaker coming up. Coming up next on Legal Nurse Podcast, you'll have an opportunity to meet Angela Barker as we go into the area of pediatric home care and what are some of the liability risks of that environment. Angela, tell our listener and our viewer, what were some of the key topics that we covered in your show? Sure.
2: Uh, so we covered just uh, what short-term and long-term patients, uh, what type of care or what type of diagnoses they have, are they qualifying for home care? Uh, also, who takes care of the patient in the home, home health aides, LVNs, RNs, uh what are the benefits of hiring an agency versus uh, consumer-directed care? Uh, some of the restrictions for the home health aid, as well as uh, liability risks uh, for taking care of a pediatric patient in the home. What training and orientation uh, goes into uh, preparing these staffs t- the, the staff to be able to care for those patients? as well as um, helping an attorney identify the documentation uh, that should be requested when reviewing one of these cases.
1: This is a specialized area of nursing and a complex area in terms of liability. You'll want to be sure to watch Angela's show to get a sense of some of the risks and the responsibilities of a nurse or an aide or an LVN, taking care of a patient in home. This is Pat Eyer with Legal Nurse Podcast, and coming up next, you'll meet Angela Barker as we focus on pediatric home care and some of the risks associated with it. Stay tuned. Thanks so much.
0: Please subscribe to our podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Join our community to get notified of each new episode and to receive the transcript of today's program. Complete the request form on podcast.legalnursebusiness.com. We appreciate you and your interest.